Welcome to the Agronomy and Farm Management Podcast. I'm Amanda. And I'm Elizabeth. Thanks for joining us today. Hello, everyone. This episode, Elizabeth and I want to spend some time discussing prevented planting. This year's certainly been unprecedented, at least for most of us. I've heard uh, a couple farmers in their 80s and 90s say maybe like 49, 59, or 60, somewhere around in there, they saw similar um, planting dates, but we certainly weren't around then, (laughs) and most of you were either still using a pedal tractor or weren't around yet either. And some of the state, some of the areas in the state are definitely struggling more than others. Um, In Champaign County, Madison County, West Central Ohio, we only have about 5% of our acres unplanted, so we're pretty fortunate. What about down by you? Yeah, in Southwest Ohio, we definitely were later than normal, but we were able to get planted. It is turning into an interesting year. Our planting dates are really spread out. We got in when we could. So you can drive by a field that's almost as tall as me, which for July isn't all that impressive. (laughs) But just down the road, you have one that's really only a few inches tall. So it's definitely gonna make managing these fields a lot more challenging this season. But I got to go up to Northwest Ohio for their field day a few weeks back. And when you compare our situation to the guys in the Northwest part of the state, especially, you know, we're pretty lucky. We're hearing that some of them are 40 to 60% unplanted, according to the educators up in that part of the state. And that's also, unfortunately, where there's a lot of livestock who are relying on those acres for feed. Yeah, it's just been crazy all around. Like you said, we're seeing the same thing with crop um, crops in so many different stages, V1 to almost tassel. It's going to be interesting to see how the season plays out. Yeah, it's one of those things, too. You hear that it's bad, but until I was up there and saw it myself, it's hard to imagine you drive by hundreds and thousands of acres that have nothing in the field. It's, it's something that it's terrible, and you can't imagine it until you really see it yourself. So this season is, I'm afraid, going to turn out to be one for the record books and not in a good way. So here at Ohio State, you know, we're working to get information to farmers that are going to help you make decisions as this year progresses because we're going to face a lot of challenges. And as the season goes on, those challenges are going to change and we have to be adaptive to be able to handle them. So Ohio State Extension Specialists right now are working together to identify questions and needs and then find the answers and the resources to help you. One of the first things we've done is we've launched a Frequently Asked Questions webpage, and that's been created, and you can visit it and see the latest answers that we have to the questions that we know you're asking. And we're gonna keep this page updated as things change, and we've seen over the last few weeks things can change really quickly. We get something all figured out, and then they make a change to the policy, and we're scrambling to understand what that means and what those implications are. So everything we talk about today is on that Frequently Asked Questions page, Um, So be sure to check that out and check back even after this is released to make sure that you have the most up-to-date information. And the link for that webpage, we'll put it in the description, but it's go.osu.edu slash agcrisis. And on that page, if you get there and there's a question that you're wondering about and you don't have, we don't have the answer there for you to look at, there's also a link where you can submit questions or concerns that you have that we haven't had the time to address yet and we will look into that and get an answer posted as quickly as we can. Yeah, it's been so hard to keep track of all this. You and I were talking before that 
there's questions coming up that we never thought that we'd have to deal with. And now we are, and we need to be able to respond in a timely manner, but then they continue to make changes to it. And most of them are beneficial uh, to farmers, but it's still hard to keep track of all that. So if you didn't have a good relationship with your crop insurance agent, you probably do now, or at least I hope you do, uh, because those RMA rules, they're not hard and fast. They're adjusting them, which is helpful, but uh, working with your agent to ensure that you do not do anything to void your coverage is going to be really important, especially when we get into some of these sticky scenarios we'll talk about later, like using corn or soybeans as a cover crop. And it's important to note too, we have recommendations and we have answers, but make sure that you're checking with your insurance agent because some of these rules are open to interpretation and just because we are interpreting it one way right now doesn't mean that they're gonna interpret it the same way. So make sure before you make a decision or take action that you're getting confirmation that that's not gonna void your coverage with your insurance agents. Exactly. So we recorded a podcast on nitrogen and flooded corn with Alex Lindsay earlier this spring. And I don't think we thought it would be quite so applicable or relevant across Ohio. Uh, but definitely check out that podcast because if you put nitrogen on your corn ground before planting and then ended up being delayed for a month or more, the chances of that nitrogen still being there are pretty slim. Yeah, I know. I've been out pulling some soil samples, testing for available nitrogen in one of our e-fields trials, and we're seeing very low nitrogen levels. That's probably in part due to leaching from all the rainfall, but also because of the saturated soil conditions, we're not seeing the mineralization that we normally see this time of year. And so corn that is in the field is likely experiencing stress, whether that be uh, due to the heat that wasn't here just a few weeks ago, yeah. or the, the wet feet that it's been experiencing almost constantly since it's been planted. So with that stress, it's going to need nitrogen just as much, if not more, than in a normal year. So making sure that that adequate nitrogen is there to get it through the season is going to be very important. Uh, we are seeing a warm up in temperatures this month and that may help increase mineralization, but I don't think that I would trust that that's gonna be enough to overcome this low start and get us through the season. So nitrogen, thinking about managing crops that are in the field is something we should keep an eye on. And of course, we also have to throw in the environmental piece of that. And I read an article a few weeks ago that they're predicting the largest hypoxia zone down in the Gulf of Mexico ever this year due to those excessive rains carrying nutrients down the Mississippi. So it's just as important to keep nitrogen in the field as it is for phosphorus. We've kind of um, belabored phosphorus a lot because of Lake Erie issues but especially for those of us in the southern part of the state where our water does make it down to Mississippi that the nitrogen has a huge impact on the Gulf of Mexico down there. So it's better, I think, to implement good practices now, start seeing what works for your operation uh, rather than being forced to by regulation. And besides, it makes sense economically too keeping that nitrogen in place. It's an expensive resource. And we'll be putting out an episode on late season nitrogen application later this summer. 
So stay tuned to see if some of the suggestions there work for you. Those are all great points. Nitrogen is challenging in any year and especially this year, it's gonna be a really tough one to get our finger on. So let's go ahead and jump into some of these changes that RMA has made to accommodate our farmer needs a little bit better. So really, I think one of the biggest challenges that we're facing because of this excessive rainfall is going to end up being the shortage of forage for our livestock in Ohio. This is an emergency issue. Um, we had had low quality forage coming out of last winter, going into last winter, and I know a lot of livestock producers have been worried about the nutritional value of what they're feeding, and this just compounds that issue even further. Yeah, so. and it's not even just not being able to plant crops, it's that the forages that were already planted alfalfa, things like that, have just been decimated. Yeah, a lot of that forage didn't come through the winter in, in good condition, yeah. and the rain has just made it so that we can never recover or get anything replanted. And so this is a major issue, and that has led to some adjustments in policy to try to help farmers. Um, so the first change that they made was to move the grazing or silaging date of cover crops up from November 1st to September 1st. And so this change is going to allow farmers who plant a cover crop on prevented planting acres to chop, bale, or graze. Those terms are really, <laughs> we'll say them several times, they're very important. So you can chop, bale, or graze that cover crop and use it for a forage and then collect your full prevented planting payment, but only if you hay, graze, bale, or chop that for silage. You okay. cannot harvest it as a grain crop that will void it as a cover crop. So as long as you wait until after September 1st, you will get your full prevented plant planting payment. If you do need to harvest it before September 1st, you can, but then you will only get 35% of that prevented planting payment. And so there is some flexibility there. If that's something you need to get into, you're not gonna lose your entire payment. And hopefully this will help increase the options for our livestock producers who are looking for alternatives for feeding their herds. Yeah, so that's definitely a big concern, especially coming from Northwest Ohio is, um, how are these livestock producers going to find forages available? And, or if there's farmers who are willing to plant cover crops that don't have livestock that could be used this fall. So if you haven't seen it yet, Ohio AgNet has started the Farmer to Farmer Network where you can put in what you have or what you need and get connected up. So this is pretty cool. It's like a Craigslist for forages. Um, as Elizabeth puts it, and I think it will, uh, yeah, be a helpful tool to help get through the year. Yeah, I think it's a really creative idea, so I think this is going to be a really cool way to find your neighbors, um, check out that website um, on Ohio Agnet, and either ask for what you need, or if you have something available, or acres that you could plant to cover crop, put that in there too, and everyone can get linked up with what they need, hopefully. So while this is really exciting, these opportunities um, to plant cover crops and hopefully use them for forages, it has led to a lot of questions about mm -hmm. what cover crops we should be planting and when we should be planting them in order to maximize that value for forage, but also meet the requirements of it being a cover crop. And one of the options that has generated perhaps the most questions is whether or not we can use corn as a cover crop. So I'm not sure we have this one completely figured out yet, unfortunately, 
because some of those requirements are still um, up to the decision of the crop insurance agent like we mentioned earlier. So RMA did say that for 2019 you can plant corn as a cover crop even on corn PP acres. The question though is how does it need to be planted? And it sounds like a lot of agents are requiring that it either be mixed with another crop, planted in narrower rows, um, and or um, at a higher seeding rate. Yeah, I think we're trying to really find that fine line between having it be available as a forage at the end of the year, but also making sure that that corn is performing as a cover crop so that we're getting those benefits of reduced erosion um, and covering the ground, which is going to be really important as we'll talk about a few issues here in a moment. Yeah, and I think that um, running your plans by your crop insurance agent, even if you're able to get them in writing, um, so when it comes time for that payment, you are somewhat guaranteed, I guess, and the practice that you implemented was okay with them and is not going to void your PP payment. Absolutely. So we have had some decent weather. It's been a little bit more dry, which is nice. Yeah. So I'm sure the last couple weeks, farmers are taking advantage of this weather and trying to get some cover crops in. And like Amanda said, making sure that you're running these plans by your agent is going to be very important. One thing that's come out is NRCS announced um, payments that can help cover the cost of planting a cover crop. They're going to start taking, they began taking applications on July 1st, and there's $4 million available. Um, but that's only going to cover about 130,000 acres, which isn't very many. But this is an opportunity to help get assistance covering the cost of cover crops on these prevent plant acres. So if you want more information about that, um, definitely check out NRCS's website or get in touch with your local NRCS people. And one thing I want to mention that I came across recently um, from an agronomic standpoint is that it's really important to plant something in your field. Not only for erosion control, but there's what they call a fallow syndrome. And this results because there's beneficial mycorrhizal fungi that help corn roots take up um, phosphorus and zinc. So when no crops are planted in the field, the fungal populations decrease. And so the next year they're unable to assist the crop um, with nutrient uptake. And this was something I hadn't heard about before. So we don't have to deal with this issue very frequently. Um, and I wanted to make everyone aware in case you hadn't heard of it either. So Missouri saw a lot of fallow syndrome in 2016 following PP acres in 2015. They definitely saw better corn growth following soybeans or a grass cover. Brassicas apparently are not a host for the fungi and corn showed similar stunted growth following a brassica crop compared with um, the unplanted fields. So if you're considering a cover crop, you know, corn or soybeans or a mixture of crops and including grasses in that will help support that mycorrhizae population and hopefully reduce the fallow syndrome effect. Yeah, that's really interesting. I hadn't heard of that before either. But it makes sense. In research in the past, we had used crop rotation to reduce populations of certain 
things in the soil. Right. So it makes sense that if it doesn't have a host, that those populations could be hurt. Yeah. So another big issue with these unplanted acres is the seed that didn't get planted. And so I know in a lot of cases, returning the seed isn't an option. So what are the options for handling that seed? One option that we've talked about is using corn and soybean as a cover. However, you need to work again with your insurance agent to make sure it meets the guidelines of a cover crop and not a grain crop. It definitely cannot be harvested for grain. They're very clear on that rule. And making sure that you're planting it in a way that it is performing like a cover crop, as we mentioned earlier, corn may need to be planted with another crop or at a higher seeding rate or narrower row spacing. And then with soybeans, something you need to be concerned about is gonna be that seed treatment. So if you're going to try to use these, the soybean crop as a forage, um, you need to make sure that you check your seed treatment label. Some of the insecticidal seed treatments are not labeled to be fed to livestock, but we are still checking on different seed treatments. So keep an eye on the frequently asked questions page for updates to make sure that the seed treatments that you have on those seeds don't restrict you from feeding to livestock. So what about storing? So trying to store the seed isn't something that we recommend unless you have a climate controlled warehouse. One of the biggest concerns here is especially that seed quality coming out of last fall wasn't the best. With high quality seed, research has shown that as long as that seed is treated, the germ rate didn't drop below 80% until about 16 months. However, when you're not storing in a climate controlled situation, the germ rate could be less than 20%. And with kind of some unknowns around what the quality of that seed is, it's hard to say with any confidence what germ rates you might be seeing, especially with soybean that don't typically hold up that well going into next year. So trying to store it can be a high risk decision. So to go along with this and continue the climate discussion, we are hosting Climate Smart Farming with the Weather Extremes workshop on July 18th. It'll be at the Der Dutchman, and Elizabeth and I have been on the planning committee for this, and we, of course, think it's a really relevant topic right now, and we're bringing in folks from around the Midwest who followed climate patterns um, and witnessed some of these weather extremes, such as our keynote, Tyler Williams, from the University of Nebraska-Lincoln. So he'll be able to talk about the lessons learned from their extreme flooding events they had this past year. And the event's free to attend, so thanks to our sponsors, and you can sign up online at go.osu.edu forward slash climate smart. So one other thing, we do have a new landing page for our podcast on the agcrops.osu.edu website under media. So you can look back at past episodes and access links to resources and the experts that we've talked with. Don't forget to link up with us on Twitter and Facebook at AFM Podcast. And if you do like the podcast, rate us and give us a review on your listening app so we can reach more listeners. Yeah, don't rate us if you don't like us. <laughs> <laughs> well, I think best of luck to everyone out there. Hopefully we can get through this without too much more stress and um, economic impact to the bottom line. And like Elizabeth said, stay tuned to the FAQ page for updates in the corn newsletter as well. We have a lot of resources. We're trying to be on top of this as much as we can. Thanks for listening to the Agronomy and Farm Management Podcast. 
Join us again in two weeks for our next episode.